Good morning. There was a theme across all of our readings this morning, is certainly that of restoration. We saw it um, first in the psalm, that great line that we were, we were like men who dreamed when we saw the restoration of Zion. We saw it in blind Bartimaeus sitting there on the the roadside in Jericho, and then suddenly um, Jesus comes walking by, and, and Bartimaeus reaches out and says, have mercy on me, son of David. And what happens? His sight is restored. And we certainly see it this morning in the book of Job, this man who had so much taken away from him, um, all of it is restored. And, and that's the one we're going to be looking at this morning, is, is Job and this restoration. And what does that mean for him? Um, what does it mean for us? Um, and what are we going to do about it? So we're going to look at this restoration of Job. So the first thing we want to think about is what does it mean really to be restored? Because we hear the word salvation a lot, don't we? Um, that we are saved from our sins, that God saves us. There's a, a salvation, but, but this actually salvation is just one, one part, and a very big part, mind you, but one part of our restoration. And there's a long-range restoration that we all look forward to one day is when, when God restores this earth to what it was like in the very beginning, in the Garden of Eden, that one day we believe Jesus Christ will return and that this will be a new creation, creation like that in Eden except better, except better. And that's what we're looking ahead to and that's what we're, we're longing for and that's kind of what we see with Job, don't we? Because this man who's been through so much um, and who is at the bottom of despair, he's, he's restored. And not only is it the same as it was, it's actually better. He finishes out better than he started in the beginning. Let's get to that. Um, what's happening in Job? This is a difficult and, and strange and somewhat scary book. Um, at the very beginning of Job, and this is just a brief snapshot, um, we learn that Job is a righteous man, and he has um, great wealth and a great family, and he, he, walks, um, he walks justly before God. And then Satan comes to God, and Satan says, um, God, I bet I can make one of your people sin. And God says, not Job. You can't make Job sin. And um, Satan says, well, why don't you let me try? And then one of the most difficult passages in the Bible and I think one that we shouldn't try too hard to understand. Um, God says, okay, Satan, I'll let you try. Then the rest of the book is Satan's attempt to destroy Job and to destroy his faith. Now, now we have to be very clear. God is not doing this to Job. Satan is doing it to Job. And the whole point of the book, I think is to get us to stop asking the question, why is God letting this happen? That's the first question we ask. Why is God letting this happen? And we don't know the answer. We don't know the answer, but we do know that at the end of it, God is glorified and Job is restored. Isn't that right? God is glorified and Job is restored. Why everything else happens, is we don't know. But that's what's going on. So Job has, has this great family and this great property. And, and to make a long story short, all of it is just taken from him. It's just taken away. Satan just comes right at him. In the midst of all this, Job has these so-called friends. 
Uh, they're called the friends of Job, and they come up to him, and they tell him everything he's doing wrong. They're saying stuff like, you're not praying hard enough, and you must be a really bad sinner, and you just must be a really awful person, and your family's really awful, and God is punishing you because you're so bad. These are his friends, by the way. Can you imagine what his enemies would be saying to him? But Job, he, he doesn't want to believe that. He, he doesn't know what's happening, but he, he, refuses, he refuses to acknowledge that. But he does get a little upset. And so if we back up a few chapters to chapter 32, um, Job says this about himself. In chapter 32... And actually, in chapter, all of chapter 31, Job is trying to justify himself. He said, if I had done this, maybe I can understand God, what God was doing to me. Or if I had done that, if I had sinned in this way, or if I had done these things. But he keeps saying over and over, I have never done this. I have never fallen short. I have never sinned against God. And so when we get to 32 verse 1, Job's friends conclude this. So these three men cease to answer Job because, listen to this, this is so convicting. They cease to answer him because... He was righteous in his own eyes. He was righteous in his own eyes. So here's a man who's incredibly faithful. God himself says at the beginning of the book, he's an incredibly faithful man, but he, he has something. He has, he has some blinders on, and those blinders are his own self-righteousness. And so his ultimate conclusion is, he cannot believe that God is doing all of this stuff to him because he's such a good person. And he's wrong about two things. One is that God is doing it. And secondly, that he's as good a person as he thinks he is. So let's look then at his restoration. Because this is obviously um, someone I think we can all identify with. Somebody who's asking the question, why God? Why? But also somebody who's saying, haven't I done enough? Aren't I good enough? Aren't I holy enough? So how, how does this man get redeemed? What happens? Well, he obviously needs a little bit of help. So the first thing he does, and, and there's three things, and they all start with R. It is amazing how that works out, so you can remember them. The first thing he does is he recognizes the greatness of God. He recognizes the greatness of God. And it's really actually um, quite scary how this happens to Job. There's a chapter, um, verse 38, and in my Bible, there's a little a heading that the translators put in there, and it says, the Lord answers Job. So here's Job complaining and talking about, you know, how he probably doesn't deserve all this stuff that happens to him. And then God comes. Okay, all these awful friends have been talking to Job, and then God himself comes to Job. And he says this. Imagine the Lord of the universe saying this to you. Dress for action like a man. I will question you. And you will make it known to me. God is challenging Job. He's saying, dress for action like a man. I will question you. And, make, and you will make it known to me. So God starts asking Job questions. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together? And all the sons of God shouted for joy. And God goes on and on asking these questions. Where were you, Job? You think you know. You think you understand. You think you can put me in a box and explain what I should be doing. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? 
Can you pull a Leviathan out of the water with a hook? It's like a whale. Can you catch a whale with a hook, Job? Where were you, Job? And so God, he spends two, three, four chapters showing Job how great God is and how little we are. You see that? How great God is and how little we are. And it's painful and it's hard. That is a hard thing to realize. But before we can be restored, before we can really experience the glory and the love of God, we've got to know how great He is. We've got to know that. And so there's probably a lot of us here this morning, and you're asking, why? Why, God? Why, why are you doing this to me? Or why are you allowing this to happen to me? And there's an implicit expectation. The expectation is there that somehow God could fix it. That God can make it better. And he can. And that's the right assumption. But here's, here's what I would ask you this morning. If your God is so great and so big that he can fix your problems in a second, is he not also so great and so big that he might know something that we don't know? Or have a plan that we can't understand? That's not an easy thing to hear. That's very hard. But we've got to realize that. If we have a hope of restoration, we've, we've got to realize that we have a God who's big enough to restore the mess we've put ourselves into. And that's what God is doing with Job. He's making him recognize his greatness. Second thing that happens to Job, once he recognizes this, once he sees how big his God is, what does he do? He repents. And so if we're in 42, maybe we can get this up on the screen now. 42 verses 5 and 6. This is what Job says to God. Um, He says, well, he begins, he's like, I know you can do these things, God. I know you can do them. I know you're great. I know you're faithful. And so he goes on in verse 5, he said, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. You see that there in verse 5? I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes sees you. So here is little Job standing before this great God, and he's saying, God, I, I, I had heard of you. I understood you. I thought I knew, knew what you were supposed to do and how you were supposed to act. I had heard of you, but I didn't know you. Do you see that? I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but, but now my eyes sees you. I had heard of you, but now I see you. Does that sound like anybody else you know? Bartimaeus, maybe? sitting there on the roadside, and he could hear Jesus, and he could hear the crowd, and he says, Son of David, have mercy on me. And he's blind. What does Jesus come? He comes, and he says, what do you want, Bartimaeus? Rabbi, I want you to heal me. Give me my sight. And Jesus says, it is done. And what does Jesus tell him? Jesus says, Bartimaeus, go. You can go. Your sight is restored. So he's basically saying, going home, you're You're good. But what does Bartimaeus do? Now that he can see, remember, he could hear Jesus, but now that he can see him, what does Bartimaeus do? Does he go home? No. He follows Jesus, doesn't he? He follows Jesus. We'll talk about where they're going in a second. So here's Job, 
and, and he's saying, I've heard you, God, but now I see you. Now I know you. And the very next thing he says there in verse 6, Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. This is a man who recognizes his own folly. He recognizes his own sinfulness, and he says, I hate that about me. I despise my sinfulness. I despise the fact that I was turning my back on you. I despise the fact that I was, um, I was trying to justify myself in your eyes so maybe somehow these things would stop happening to me. I'm, I'm sorry, God. I repent in dust and ashes. I repent. And so I think that's what God is inviting us to do. Once we recognize his glory and once, you, once we see how amazing he is, he's inviting us to repent of all those things that we're doing to justify ourselves, all those places where we have turned from him, all those things we're doing where we don't trust in him. And, and for some of you, some of you are sitting here and you've never trusted God a day in your life. And God is inviting you today to change that. And to put your trust in him. And to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Now some of you are sitting here, and, and you have. You trust in God. Um, and, and this will be me. I trust in God. But there are places in my life and corners in my heart where I'm not so sure I actually trust him. You identify with that? Maybe it's your finances. And you're just not sure how God's going to pull you through this. Maybe it's your family. I'm going through this a lot. What am I going to do? I've got five kids, and this world's a crazy place. And how am I going to protect them and shepherd them and help them to grow up faithfully? And that's a, that's a place of letting go. Because I'm not sure I trust God to do it. And I need to repent of that. Or maybe, um, maybe it's a sickness, or maybe it's a troubled marriage, and you're sitting there and you're fighting with your spouse day in and day out, and you're thinking, there's no way God can fix this marriage. That is not true. He's a big God. We're little people. He can do anything. But we've got to repent. We've got to turn back. We've got to come back to God and repent in dust and ashes. So finally, the third thing that happens in this process of restoration is that Job is called to respond. Job is called to respond. It's very interesting um, the way, you know, the, we have a, what's called a lectionary, and it lays out our readings for us. And sometimes to make them shorter, they'll skip over a few verses, which is fine. That's an okay thing to do. But, but it's my job then to fill you in on what you missed because there's a few verses here that after Job repents... The Lord turns back to Job's friends, okay? These are the ones who've said some pretty awful things about Job and about God. And, and God's bringing his judgment on them. And he says, um, y'all need to apologize. You need to go to Job and say that you're sorry. And here's the really interesting thing. God doesn't actually forgive them right away. God gives Job a task. Okay, nothing, Job has not been restored, he's still missing his family, he's still missing his property, and, and, and God gives him a task. He says, Job, when you pray for these people, they're going to come to you and apologize, when you pray for them, well, he doesn't actually say this, he doesn't say, when you pray for them, I will restore you, he just gives them a command, pray for them. They're going to come to you and you pray for them. Would that be easy? No, there's nothing easy about that. These men have kicked you while you're down. And God is telling you to pray for them? 
But Job is faithful. He responds. He has repented. He is back in the will of God. And now he's like, okay, God, I'm ready to do what you say. And God says, repent. And then God says, pray. Pray for your enemies. And Job prays for them. And when he prays for them, then God restores his enemies. God forgives them. Look here in verse, um, I just don't think we have it. Oh, we can do verse 10. No, verse uh, 8. Now, therefore, God's talking to the friends. Take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. So apologize to him. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. And so God's saying, Job's going to pray for you and then I'll forgive you. And Job obeys. He prays for them. They're forgiven. And then in verse 10, it says this. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. Did Job earn that? No, he didn't earn that. But here's a man who is broken, who came back to God, who repented and was obedient and faithful and trusting in God. He said, I'm just going to follow you and trust you, God. I don't know what's going to happen. And here's God restoring Job's fortunes. Restoration, bigger, better, greater than it ever was before. Now, slightly different with our friend Bartimaeus. Because Bartimaeus um, receives his sight after he repents, and he, he decides that he is going to follow Jesus. Where are they going? From Jericho, Jesus goes to Jerusalem, to the cross. And that's the way of discipleship, of following Jesus. And it's going to be hard, and it's going to be difficult, and you might be persecuted. um, Because that's what happened to our Lord. Jesus walked on this earth, and he taught us, and he healed us. And and the reward for all of that, for being the Son of God and for for obeying God perfectly, the, the reward that we gave Him for that in our sinfulness was a cross. We nailed Him to the cross. And He went there faithfully and obediently for you and for me that our sins would be forgiven, that we could be restored. And then we're called to follow him. Job had to follow through a very difficult time of of forgiving his friends before he saw the restoration. We follow Jesus through a very difficult time. Jesus leads us to the cross. And it's only through that cross that we can know the restoration of God. And we might know it in this life. Many of us will not know it until the next life. But even now we can know the presence of God. And his faithfulness through the Holy Spirit when we put our trust in him and seek him for our restoration and stop justifying ourselves. So if you're here this morning and, and maybe you're just asking why, why God, why, why is this happening to me? Or maybe you're just wandering and you're not sure of what's going on. God is here and he's saying, recognize me. See how big I am and how great I am. Come back to me, Repent. then follow me, respond to my call, and I will restore you. Every single square inch of your body, I will restore you, and it will be better than it ever was. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your restoration.
for the restoration you offer us through your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to recognize how great you are and how small we are. Help us to repent of those places where we've not trusted your greatness and your goodness. And help us to respond to your call on our lives. No matter where it takes us, even through the, the, the pits of despair, Lord, help us to know your presence with us. And we trust, Lord, that one day we will know your full and perfect restoration. And we thank you for that. And we ask all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.